0: It's so exciting to get to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, as Kurt said, my name is Kevin Oslins and I get the joy of bringing the message this morning. Um, and if you're looking at me, you're like, who is this guy? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, my, like Kurt said, my wife and I have been attending for about a year or so. Uh, at the beginning, it was very much more off than on. Um, we were trying to find our new church home, uh, but we've been serving consistently and coming consistently since about January So if you're new, don't worry, it'll be at least three or four weeks before they ask you to speak. Um, (laughs) But the question of who is this guy matters absolutely not at all when it comes to me. It does not matter if you don't know who I am. But the single most important question in all of your life is who is this guy? It's who is Jesus? And that's the passage that we're going to be looking at, is when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? We're going to be starting out in Matthew 16. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to flip open to there. uh, I want to make sure that you all know that these are God's words and not my own, because I'm really good at saying a lot of stupid stuff. But God's word never will. Um, So let's listen to God's word this morning as we jump in. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. What fascinates me about their answer is not a single person has gone around and said, oh, Jesus, uh, I don't know, good Jewish kid with a hammer. Everybody recognizes that Jesus is something special. He's something different than the teachers that they've heard. When he's teaching in the temple, as they would do, the people said, who is this man? He teaches as one who has authority, not like our teachers of the law. He's something different. And as Adam talked about last week, there's three main categories that people will place Jesus into. They will either say that he was a liar he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. And so I would say that it's logically inconsistent to come down on this statement that a lot of people have, that, well, Jesus was just a good moral teacher. He taught some good stuff, lived a good life, and that's it. He can't be a good moral teacher and that alone, because good moral teachers don't lie. And Jesus claimed to be the son of God. He lifted up Simon Peter's answer that we'll see in a little bit, saying, you're correct. I am the Messiah, the son of the living God. And the things that Jesus did, we cannot attribute to just a mere good moral teacher. If you say he was a lunatic, well, that one may have the most weight, except for the fact that people don't knowingly follow lunatics. People don't knowingly give their lives for somebody who's just absolutely out of their minds. And C.S. Lewis, uh, who used that quote of, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord, the way that he poses it in his book, Mere Christianity, is he's a lunatic on level with the man who thinks he's a poached egg. Anybody wake up in the morning and be like, you know what, I think I'm a poached egg this morning. If you have, Kurt will be happy to talk with you after the service. (laughs) But Jesus cannot be a lunatic because his arguments are sound. He was a master of the scriptures, and he continually confounded the religious leaders who were trying to stump him. He cannot be a lunatic because his, his words make sense. Sometimes they make too much sense, right? So I would justify that Jesus must be Lord, or as we say in that Bridgewater, he is our leader and our forgiver, that we trust in Jesus Christ because what he has said is true and good, and we believe that, and we want to follow him. There's one other category, oh, I'm sorry, there's an awesome quote uh, from C.S. Lewis that when he's talking about this liar, lunatic, or Lord, and ruling out the possibility of saying he's just a good teacher, a good Jewish kid with a hammer, he said, we may know in passing that he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher, he did not produce that effect on any of the people who have ever actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, and adoration. There was no trace of people expressing just a mild approval, just a good moral teacher. The people around him recognized that he was something different. And we cannot just say, eh, he was a good guy. We either have to acknowledge that he is Lord of our lives or misignore him or hate him or just sit back and be terrified of him. So As we continue on this morning, we continue on with Jesus asking, all right, that's great. I've heard what, who other people have said that I am. But here comes the real question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Because somebody else's answer will never do for your life. You must answer this question for yourself. In fact, your entire eternity depends on how you answer this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter's response, Simon's response, I'm sorry. He's still Simon at this point. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I'm going to give you your 30-second theology lesson this morning, okay? You guys with me? So Messiah is a Hebrew word. There's a Greek word for it called Christ. Some of you are here thinking like, I just thought that was his last name. Um, But that's a title for him. The Messiah means anointed one. And when we speak of Jesus as Messiah, we're using a capital M, because all of the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way up through the Italian prophet Malachi, okay, I know it's pronounced Malachi, just checking to see if you're awake, eight o'clock took him a minute, all of those pages from Genesis to Malachi are speaking of a Messiah who will come. And they're speaking of this anointed one who has been called and set apart for a specific purpose. So in the capital M sense of Messiah, it was always a future prediction of this great savior who would come. In the lowercase sense, there was a Messiah. There was an anointed one who was attributed or devoted for a specific purpose. And we see that when David is anointed king of Israel. And I think when people were thinking of capital and messiah they were looking at king david because they knew that messiah would come from david's lineage so they assumed that they would he would look a lot like him and what was the famous song that people sang of david he was a huge mighty great he wasn't huge but he was a great mighty warrior and they sang of him saul has slain his thousands but david has slain his tens of thousands and i think to jewish ears in that time hearing that and looking forward to this messiah who would come Think of it, you're in a place where your people have been persecuted and looked down upon and beaten down for thousands of years. For them to hear, oh, there's a Savior coming, he's going to look a lot like David. He's going to come in riding on a horse. He's going to come in and free us from this Roman oppression. And he's going to be a great and mighty warrior. That's not what people saw in Messiah. That's not what people saw in Jesus. There was this man who came to earth as a baby, who didn't come with a sword, who wasn't riding on a horse. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, teaching and preaching and explaining what God's word says. Simon said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Where did Peter learn about who Jesus is? From Jesus' mouth himself, right? So when Simon says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus is taking that answer and saying, you're absolutely right. And I'm not just the son of the living God, because we can confuse that in our day and age, right? (laughs) He's saying, I am the living God. My father has spoken through me. You have heard these words and you are living out this truth. And Jesus continues on to say, now I say to you that you are Peter. Whenever God changes a name in the Bible, it's time to pay attention. You are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus has changed Simon's name to Peter because he wants him to be reminded of this foundational truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Whenever somebody calls his name, hey, Peter, yeah, that's me. That's right, the rock that I am founding my life on is that Jesus is the son of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Jewish understanding of this phrase, the gates of hell, was talking about physical death. And we'll see, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to die. But it says the gates of hell will not prevail against Messiah, the son of the living God, because what happens? Anybody read the book? (laughs) He raised to to life again, and he lived to continue teaching and to eventually hand off the keys to his ministry, which is exactly what he's about to do. But this foundational truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, is what all of Christianity is founded upon. And the church began as a growing gathering of men and women who believed that Jesus was and is the son of God. And as Jesus continues this interaction with Peter, he says to him, and I will give you the, kingdom, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm not going to be here the whole time. Not on this earth anyway. I'm going to be giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of us hear that and like, okay, keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's weird, but all right, let's, let's go there. So we just moved into our home about two months ago. And one of the very first things that we did was we changed the locks on our house because we met the guy that we bought it from. (laughs) Not somebody I want having the keys to my house (laughs) where my wife and my kids sleep. (laughs) We changed those locks right away. But Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This looks a whole lot different than... All right, Peter, you've been my disciple. You've been listening to me this whole time. What Jesus could have easily done is said, I'm going to stick around and make sure that I can keep preaching the gospel to make sure that it's done correctly. Because Peter, let's face it, you've messed up a bunch of times. But God, in his all-knowing wisdom, somehow does something that makes absolutely no human sense to me. He trusts people like Peter, like you and me, with the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You want to know what those keys are it's the story of jesus it's the gospel you want to get into heaven you need to know that jesus christ came and lived a perfect life he died a death that he didn't deserve that you and i deserved but that death couldn't keep him down he rose to life again and he spent another 40 days with his disciples on that earth to make sure that they were ready to hand the keys over to And that's what makes this next part absolutely baffling to me because once Jesus makes this declaration that yes, I am the Christ, I am the son of the living God, he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. What on earth, Jesus? What are you thinking? If you're the Messiah, don't we want people to know that? Let's, let's shout this out. You can send out like some kind of lightning message blast all across the earth, right? You're God, you can do this. Say, Messiah is here. You've been waiting for him. But Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm doing. My job on earth is not done yet. I talked to a man on Friday of this week who was restoring a, a 1965 Ford Mustang that was his in high school getting it ready. He's got the engine out and in his garage right now, totally rebuilding it with his son because he wants to get it ready for his son's senior prom. Isn't that cool? Anybody want to drive that thing to senior prom? <laughs> I'll go back to high school for that. <laughs> Can you imagine looking on his son's face when he gives him the keys and says, here you go. But it's not done yet. And that's why Jesus tells the people, his disciples at this time, Don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah because I've still got work to do. Don't go bragging about this fancy car yet because it's not done yet. Wait, I will give you the keys and your job's going to be to take that thing and fly. Your job is going to be to tell other people about it. And what I love about the Jewish faith and tradition that Jesus grew up in is this was a cornerstone of what they did. We're getting ready to celebrate our veterans this next weekend for Veterans Day. And you may have heard the phrase that freedom is never more than one generation away from dying, from extinction. That's an old Jewish phrase, that Judaism was never more than one generation away from extinction. And that's why the Old Testament is absolutely chock full of references like Deuteronomy 6, where it says, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, you get the picture all the time. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. You think God takes his word seriously? I do. And if you look at Hasidic and Orthodox Jewish communities today, what are they doing? They're talking about God's word. Every day, every night, they're literally binding their arms with it. They're putting it on their foreheads as they pray. If you walk into a Jewish or a Hasidic or Orthodox Jew, every doorpost of their home will have a tiny little box on it with scripture in it because God's word said to do it. Of course, the sad part about it is that they're missing out on the one thing that scripture is pointing to they're missing out on the fact that messiah has already come and they make up excuses to why it's not jesus but i believe that the testing of scriptures will clearly point to jesus as the savior as the messiah the son of the living god that he is not liar or a lunatic or even some might posit a legend that there's no way that one man could have lived and done all of these things done all these miracles We know water doesn't turn into wine. We know that dead people don't just raise back to life. But with the history that we have through the gospel accounts, people who saw Jesus living and the way that they interact with it and the way that they tell the story of Jesus Christ, it's undeniable that it's true. And then add into that all of the prophecies throughout the Old Testament that predicted things that would just be physically impossible to happen by chance, these things had to have happened in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're interested or if you're a skeptic and sitting here this morning like, no, I have all of the reasons for why Jesus isn't who the Bible says he is, I would encourage you to check out, there's a guy named Jay Warner Wallace. Any, anybody heard of him? Jay Warner Wallace? Got like one hand in the room, okay? Uh, he was a cold case homicide detective who was a skeptic he started out and said there's no way that jesus is who he says he is so i'm gonna use my detective skills and i am going to prove the bible wrong guess what happened <laughs> he used his detective skills and he saw in the gospel accounts that yeah they've got different stories but just like when you're interviewing a witness at a crime scene they're gonna see different things and as he looked at the different angles he said these line up. This man must have been who he said he was, who the scriptures say he is. If you have a subscription to right now, which is free through bridgewater.church, you can access J. Warner Wallace's uh, Cold Case Christianity, and I think he has another video series on there as well. Check that out. If you don't have a subscription to right now, it's free at bridgewater.church. All right, go do it. Uh, Check it out. It'll be really helpful for you. But some of us are living as if Matthew sixteen twenty. then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that we, he was the Christ. Some of us are living with these keys to the kingdom of heaven in our back pocket, or maybe in our junk drawer next to a pack of batteries and rubber bands. Like, eh, we're living out Matthew, Mark, Matthew 16, 20 as if that is the great commission then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. That's not the Great Commission, people. Jesus' work has been completed on this earth, and he's given us a greater commandment. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I got all the keys, people. So what am I going to do with them? I'm going to stay on this earth because I need to make sure that my message goes out right. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, Therefore, because I've got the keys, here they are. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This message is for each one of you in this room. It's not just for those who carry the title of pastor, it's not just for those of you who have been a Christian longer than you can remember. Now, for those of you who have memorized more verses than I can even begin to imagine, this is for you. If you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, go and make disciples. There's no qualifications on this. Go. What you know of Jesus, tell somebody else. Because one of the beautiful things about the gospel of Jesus Christ is every single person has a direct link in a chain back to Jesus. Jesus. I called Phil out in the first service. Phil, who did you hear about Jesus from? Junior high, junior high Sunday school teacher. Let's put you on the spot again. Do you know who they heard Jesus from? I do, not. I do not. His father. Okay, so Phil heard it from his junior high Sunday school teacher, who heard it from his father, who heard it from another ancestor, somebody, a Sunday school teacher, who heard it from somebody else, heard it from somebody else, all the way back to somebody who heard from the very lips of Peter. Peter or James, or Andrew, or Timothy, who heard it from the very lips of Jesus Christ. You've got a direct link in this chain going all the way back to Jesus. What if one of those people decided, you know what, it's just, it's inconvenient for me right now. I don't really feel like telling people about, the, about Jesus. You think it was inconvenient for James and John and Andrew and Peter to leave their fishing nets? leave their boats to leave their father's business can you imagine the conversation that peter had with his wife when he came home that night hey honey how was fishing uh you know what honey um actually i decided to follow some dude with a beard from nazareth you what (laughs) can you imagine that how hard it must have been for peter to lay down everything and come back and tell his wife now i'm going to follow jesus I'm going to go where he tells me to go. If he's walking on water, I'm going to run out and do it. Because I trust in him. I don't care. In the face of death, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Because he has commanded me, go and make disciples of all the nations. No matter what you're doing, no matter what your job title, whether we've got a big event like Halloween going on, or whether it's just talking to somebody in the break room at work. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey the things that I have commanded you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus says, I'm not going to be on the earth with you, but I'm going to be with you because you're going to keep my word in your heart. Somebody taught you along this link in the chain the things that you need to obey. To live like Jesus. Because God designed you on purpose for a purpose. What's that purpose? To go and make disciples. To not be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. To the Jew and to the Gentile. And we're going to skip ahead in the story here. And look at how this plays out. But before we get there, pop quiz. Who knows Ananias in the Bible? Anybody know of Ananias? How many of you with your hands raised automatically completed that with and Sapphira? Okay. How many of you know there's another Ananias in the Bible? All right. Hands are going down. Okay. So Ananias and Sapphira is a story of a lack of integrity, of lying, cheating, and stealing from the church. It's not a good thing to do. But the story of Ananias that we're going to look at in Acts 9 He's all but forgotten to history. Most of you have never heard of him, but I bet you've heard of one of his disciples. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back in chains into Jerusalem. I would submit that he probably didn't care so much about the chains as long as they came back dead. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the one who are persecuting. But you knew that already. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind, so that his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Absolutely, Lord, I will do whatever you say. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Okay, taking notes. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. Uh, Hold on. Saul from Tarsus? I've heard about this guy, God. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him. So he can see again. Ananias knew who Saul was. He had heard the stories. He said, I'll lay hands on him, all right. <laughs> but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. God, don't you read the newspaper? This guy, no way. He does not deserve your forgiveness. Ananias is saying, I've got the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and Paul doesn't get them. Sorry, spoiler alert there. Saul doesn't get them. (laughs) But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him, I think this is where he gets Ananias, I will show him how much... He must suffer for my name's sake. Oh, he's going to suffer? Cool, I'm in. (laughs) This guy deserves it. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, imagine how hard those words were to come out of his mouth. Brother Saul, (laughs) the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit instantly something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight then he got up and was baptized you think maybe ananias just held him under it just a little bit longer during that (laughs) baptism and the father and the son i know there was a third one in there (laughs) but if it weren't for ananias's obedience and faithfulness to the Great Commission, we'd be missing two thirds of the New Testament. Ananias had every reason not to bring the gospel to Paul, to Saul. And yet, God said, go, and he went. So, what's keeping you? Maybe some of you are hearing about the keys to the kingdom of heaven for the first time this morning. Maybe your next step is to grab a hold of those keys and say, yeah, I want him. Because if Jesus is going to trust me with these things, I'm, I'm going to trust him with my life. But if Bridgewater would believe that everybody has a next step. So maybe you're sitting here, you've been a believer in Jesus for a long time. Maybe it's time to get involved in a small group because life is better connected. Saved people serve people. Man, we've got plenty of places for you to be serving at this church. We've got the worship team, we've got the tech team. These guys get here at 6 30 in the morning. You know that happened on Sundays? They can use a week to sleep in. The greeter team, the hospitality team putting out coffee in the morning. We've got room in kids' club. On uh, Voyager, on Thursday nights, we've got room in the kids' ministry. We've got places for you to serve because save people, serve people, and found people, find people. If you've got the keys to the kingdom of heaven shoved in the back of your junk drawer, you're being selfish. I'm going to call it out because keys are either going to let people in or they're going to keep people out. If you're holding on to them, you have the authority to let people into the kingdom of heaven. Are you going to keep him out? And finally, we give because he gave. And I'm not just talking about financially, although that's great. We do want to support Hope for Cora. We want to support the new building uh, and all of the amazing things that God is going to do there and so many other things. But I'm talking about your time, your talent, and your treasures as well. Whatever you have, God has given to you. Let's use those things for his glory and his kingdom. Let's pray together as we prepare our hearts for communion. Lord God, we thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for the great commission and the links in each one of our chains that has brought us to know you. Father, may we not be the link that fails. Help us to be faithful to your calling in our lives and to your still small voice as you call us. We pray these things in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen.